You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Pass rush coming, and Jones is able to get away. And now thinking first down, and Daniel Jones will get it. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the football grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Grump, one more win. That's all I'm asking for in the next five days for my Tampa Bay Lightning to repeat. One more. We're up 3-1. We're going to finish this thing out tomorrow night. So by the time you listen to the next episode of the Just Science podcast, I will be reporting from a parade route in downtown Tampa for my two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. That is that I mean that is pretty awesome. To to repeat anything is really really cool. Um you know, it, it, we don't see it too often in any sport really anymore. No, I mean it's it's so hard now with salary caps and luxury taxes and general parity. You know, it's just very, you know, the leagues the schedules are recreated. You know, in the NFL, they want teams to be well, they used to be 8-8, eight eight, now they want them to be nine and eight or eight and nine and that's just the way these leagues are now and it's it's really difficult especially these last two years when you have to deal with COVID you know just the craziest two seasons you can possibly have if you know barring a monumental collapse they're going to be Stanley Cup champs sometime this week so it's, it's really amazing someday I'd like to be talking about the two-time defending Super Bowl champion New York Giants but we have a long ways to go, and I guess that conversation, that rebuild process continues. And that's what we're going to talk about today, right? Uh, they, they, they had a real shot in 2008. That was a good fucking team. But the, 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 you don't really uh, plan for a bullet wound to your star wide receiver. So Yeah, and I guess, you know, even 1987, I guess, you know, the, the strike kind of really, yeah. that, team was, that team was so good in 86. And then, you know, obviously with the strike and replacement players and everything after that, you know, no chance of, of a repeat, obviously, because of that. But, you know, in 91, after the, uh, the second Super Bowl, Parcells retires. And then we have the legend of Ray Hanley. Right. You know, we're not going anywhere with that. And, and, the, uh, and the legend of Bill Belichick. All kind of stems from that, that, that Bill Parcells retirement. Yeah, 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 exactly. So... You know, the Giants never really were in a position. The closest position they really were, you're right, was when Pascal Ferris decides to shoot himself. Yeah, that was a there was a real real chance there. Um, that team was was real good. Uh, one loss up until his. Uh, oh, leg, I remember leg that, that. That loss was on my birthday. That was the night I was in Boston. Was that the when Cleveland caught, game? Yeah, that was the night I caught that home run in uh, at Fenway. And this little, little funny story was, so after the game, you know, I had to go, I had to go like a press conference after that. And all I wanted to do was get across the street to the bar because the Giants are on Monday Night Football. And we get to the Castle Flagon, the famous sports bar next to Fenway, and we're watching the game. And Craig Sager, really great, Craig, Craig Sager's at the game, at the bar, and he comes up to me and he wants to start talking to me. He wants to interview me. And I was just like, can we do this at halftime? I'm, I'm trying to watch the giant game. <laughs> He's like, all right, no problem. 
Wow. And we're out to lose. So, of course, everything, you know, the mush knows no boundaries. Yeah, it's amazing. You caught one home run ball, and, and suddenly you needed an agent to schedule your interviews around your other activities. Hey, listen, you know, if there was Twitter and social media back in, in 2008, who knows? Who knows what the trajectory of this show and everything else would have been? But, of course, that was my 15 seconds of fame, and... Now we toil in obscurity. Yeah. It may be the best damn podcast, but, you know. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't beat pod- catching the home run ball. Yeah, if, if a podcast falls in the forest and nobody hears it, then it actually happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, we don't have some uh, real mind-boggling content tonight, but, but definitely things to think about. Uh you know, we're heading into training camp, and normally throughout training camp, we kind of look at the position battles and, and kind of guess at who. At the end of training camp, we have a guess to see who's going to be the 53 men that make the Giants cut, which of course is not really the week one roster because that usually involves players from other teams that get cut, etc. But you know, we can kind of get that started a little bit with some interesting conversation. Uh, and, and, you know, the positions that are probably the easiest to predict a little bit. In quarterback and running back, and uh, you know, there's a there's a lot riding on you know these positions in particular. Uh, you know, a lot of last season was affected by play from these two positions in particular. Um, and a real assessment for how Joe Judge is as a coach, how Dave Gettleman is as a GM, rides on these two position groups performing up to the expectations uh, when they were, you know, drafted and when they were, you know, when when these positions were filled with talent. Uh, so, of course, this is going to be a conversation about Daniel Jones. So the first thing I do want to get out of the way, because it does, it does, I think, the decision here is influenced by this, the skill of your player is, are the Giants going to keep three quarterbacks again this year? You know, right now they have three on the roster with Daniel Jones and Mike Lennon and Clayton Thorson. Or will they roll with two quarterbacks and use that extra roster spot for another position? What do you think? Clayton Thorson ever sees the field. Every conversation we've had up until this point is mute because something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. Uh, I, I would say no. I would say they would. They are. He's probably on the roster now for off-season drills and workouts and reps and a body out there. I, I really, I think at this point, Daniel Jones' development. You know, I'm going to go on a long rant about Daniel Jones in a couple of seconds, but we are now at a point where Daniel Jones is a starting quarterback in this league. You know, Daniel Jones is someone where he's not a project anymore. He's a capable starter. They don't need to have two guys behind him in case he goes horribly wrong and horribly sideways. And you have to have your backup and then somebody behind him in case the backup goes wrong. And you just want to put a guy like Daniel Jones on ice. I I would be shocked if they have a third quarterback on this roster. Uh, I mean, well, well, forget Clayton Thorson for a moment. What about a quarterback from another team? What if, what if a guy like Alex Tanney or whatever shakes loose from another roster do you think do you see joe judge getting insurance for daniel jones he's got mike lennon i mean again I, I don't know if we necessarily need insurance on the insurance i i, I think you know this roster isn't so solid and so you know solidified with everything that 
we can take a third quarterback. I think there's still other lots of other holes to fill, like with depth wise on this roster. I think we can get away with it too. I mean, if you ever needed a third one, you could pick one off the scrap heap in an emergency third role very easily. Uh, but I I do not anticipate us going into into uh, into the season with a third. Last year, yeah. This year, no. So I you know I I really don't like having a third roster spot allocated to the quarterback position. Um, it's just personally for me I don't like it, but I I understand its purpose. And you know when you have Eli Manning on the roster and you've signed Eli Manning to to a second contract and you sign him to a third contract, you know, you know that Eli Manning is your quarterback. Whoever is the backup just has to back him up. You can spend a little bit to get a good backup like we had with David Carr, former first-round pick, guy who can make all the throws but didn't have what it took to be a franchise quarterback. Fine. Perfectly good. But, you know, in Eli Manning's first contract, if you want to keep a third guy on the roster, I get it. You know, I get it. You don't know what he is, and it doesn't matter what you invested in him because – if he falters and your backup quarterback can make your roster work, then your problems with your quarterback, and you know, then you need a backup to your backup, etc. Um, I'm okay with that. This year, I think that they have done the off-season retooling. They have an accumulation of solid drafts now. We think to have a not Super Bowl contender, but a playoff contender, and when you are confident that much in your winning ability and so much of that is just you know we have the roster it's going to be on daniel jones to get some stuff done here i think you want to go with two guys but i think they do like something about clayton thorson he stayed on the practice squad almost all of us yeah well ever since they got him um and then was elevated when daniel jones was out the other thing is that daniel jones hasn't been available for a full year yet health-wise I think that they want to avoid that third quarterback spot. I think they've done the offseason work to avoid that, but they're going to keep somebody like Clayton Thorson on the practice squad somewhere just in case. Somebody who they are familiar with, even though Clayton Thorson isn't very good. Yeah, I mean, you know, this all kind of gets back to the question about what is Daniel Jones and what should he be at this point and what are expectations for him? Uh, you know, the overriding th- theme of this offseason is it's now or never. And it's now or never for Dave Gettleman. It's now or nev- never for, you know, Daniel Jones. And quite frankly, I just don't understand why it's now or never. I mean, I understand it that a decision has to be made to pick up a fifth year on a contract coming up pretty soon or is, is rookie, you know, the next year's rookie deal. But Everybody's acting like if this isn't the year that Daniel Jones all of a sudden isn't Eli Manning, that we're, you know, you're immediately going to flush in on the toilet. This franchise has hit the reset button on everything. And I just don't see that. I don't understand that logic. I mean, to me, this is the first year Daniel Jones really has 52 cards in his deck. He finally has a set of weapons, you know, his receivers, his running back. That is a legitimate NFL, not only starters, but quality. I mean, these are weapons he has now. You know, this is the first time we're not saying the offensive line is a total train wreck. It's still a work in process on the right side. We have young guys that we're anticipating will take the leap from year one to year two on the left side. Uh, You know, we want to see if Nick Gates is for real, but this is 
really the first time in his career that he has a full complement around him. And I don't understand how, in my logic, if this is his first real year, he gets one shot, and if not, that's it. I mean, we are not a team that's wasting the Super Bowl window right now, and every snap he takes, is that window's getting smaller and smaller. The window is opening on the core of this team getting to a point where, you know, in a couple of years or maybe even next year, we just need to add a couple of pieces to make that leap, but we're not there yet. So everybody who's going to say, like, it's now or never for Daniel Jones or, you know, we're, you know, whatever comments are made by the owner or the GM or even the coach, let's, let's be real. I mean, this is not do or die for Daniel Jones this year, no matter how it's been framed going forward. That doesn't mean I, I don't expect to see significant improvement from this offense and from him, but that doesn't mean that, you know, the final grade is coming at the end of this year or after every drive or after every quarter this year. So I don't think, I, I, I agree. I, I think that it's lunacy that it's all on Daniel Jones now or never, but I think there is an element to that that's true. I think that, you know, obviously, if Daniel Jones can't make it work because the offensive line is still a fucking mess, because we don't know what it is, it's a question mark right now. If the offensive line is still a mess, he's got an out, and it's a legitimate out. That quarterback cannot be effective, cannot throw downfield, can't do things if he can't get any protection whatsoever. And I mean, like, clearly, we look at it and we're like, this is bad, this is the offensive line. Not, you know, he's fumbling when he gets hit, not, you know... He's staying too long in the pocket. I mean, truly, honestly, the offensive line is bad. It will not fall on Daniel Jones. Yeah, and the people who listen to this show know the difference between a quarterback who makes bad reads, who's not accurate, who panics, yeah. who does all, all those things. That's a big – things that are unforced errors as opposed to, you know, this guy's got no time. You know, yeah. you know, he's got receivers that can't get separation. He's got receivers who can't catch. He's got running backs that can't, you know, hit a hole. You know, all of these things. An offensive coordinator who might be coaching to these deficiencies. We don't expect really any of that this year. So we don't expect know. it. But, but yeah, of course, the, the people who listen to this podcast will tell you that it's not all on Daniel Jones. He needs to see him. the improvement from the roster that we think is what we, we, we handled in this offseason, right? We think that we got guys who can get some separation. We think we have some downfield threats. We think we have a guy who can create mismatches in Kadarius Tony. You know, we think that we've figured out our offensive line issue. We think that Andrew Thomas will take another step forward in development. We think this defense is going to get better. If if some of those get in the way, you know, our our listeners, they know it's not on Daniel Jones. But you know, there's another element that, like, even if, let's just say that the most likely of scenarios that hinders Daniel Jones from being effective this year, in my opinion, is the offensive line not developing, right? I mean, they, to a certain extent, ignored it, you know, this offseason. Not a whole lot was added to make, you know, make good on a bad roster spot. Let's just say the offensive line is pretty bad and, you know, the team middles around 500. They don't make the playoffs. They just narrowly miss out on a wild card or whatever. And Daniel Jones is ho-hum, mostly due to the offensive line. But let's also say the Chicago Bears are god-awful, like we think they might be. 
And the Giants are now sitting there with the second overall pick. I think if you have a true franchise quarterback sitting there in that scenario, it would be an acceptable solution to take him at number two with the Chicago Bears pick. Oh, totally agree. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're trying – the jury is out on Daniel Jones, you know, for the environment he's, co- he's playing in and him himself. The opportunity, I think, if a true franchise quarterback drops into your lap, you take him. And then you deal with, you deal with Daniel Jones later. You know, you trade him. You, you, I mean, there's, you know, his market value may not be what you anticipate, but if you are ending up out of all of the transactions that happen post that draft, you're getting your franchise quarterback of the future, so be it. You know, they, they, they don't fall on trees, those guys. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, it's not – now, Now, let's look at the flip side. Let's say that everything else that was done this offseason clicks perfectly, just as we expected, and Daniel Jones is still suffering from same issues, turnovers, bad decision-making, staying in the pocket too long. Um, I think then you can say you know what you have. He was given a roster. You have two first-round draft picks. I think it's fair to say that Daniel Jones won't develop any further than that or or well and won't develop enough to be your franchise quarterback. And it's a good time with two first round draft picks to get a quarterback because even if those are middle of the middle of the order draft picks in the first round, you can bundle them up to move up to get one. You know, it, it and again, I I am saying things in generalities right now that I don't normally say like get a franchise quarterback. If there one if there isn't one there, then this whole conversation is moot. But you know, this is assuming that there's one there and that, you know, there is an opportunity to move on from Daniel Jones at the end of the season. I think there's an argument to be made that that could happen and would be legitimate. You know, it's interesting that, you know, and I just felt guilty of it myself that we're talking about this season. Everybody's making the assumption well, Andrew Thomas, he'll be much better this year. And Shane Lemieux will be much better this year. Matt Pert will be much better next this year. Nick Gates will be better this year. You know, oh, uh, Saquon Barkley, he'll be much better. He'll come back from the injury. He'll be fine. But Daniel Jones? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's going to develop. Like, why are we so quick to, you know, not give all the offensive linemen a pass or just – it's just the assumption they will improve because it's their second year and they had a chance to, you know, work in the offseason and all these things we've said ad nauseum on the show. But Daniel Jones doesn't get that benefit of the doubt. Why are we so – you know, has the – let me ask you this, Grant. Let me put it another way. Do you expect – I think that's just like – more – I mean, was, was Andrew Thomas as bad as Daniel Jones was for their respective divisions that were expecting that much of a massive jump from one but not necessarily the other? Um – I, I mean, don't. Andrew Thomas, Andrew Thomas, for the beginning of the season, and we've defended him, and you know all the reasons why, but was a a very below average left tackle in this league at the start of the season, right? Would you say he was worse at his position last year than Daniel Jones was at his position last year? Um, I think he was. Daniel Jones was never. Daniel Jones was never a horrible. Daniel Jones. 
made the wrong mistakes at the wrong time that kind of they're highlight mistakes that you remember a lot more. You know, a critical fumble on a third down, a pick in the red zone. Things that, you know, if you just look at the numbers, don't jump at you as being horrible, but just they make a bigger impact because you threw a pick in the end zone. Or quarterback's big sack is coming, horrible fumble. But No, I, I actually I disagree with you. I, I, I think that Daniel Jones... Um, was and that's not to say that's that's more saying positively about Andrew Thomas than it is about Daniel Jones. I think Andrew Thomas was more scrutinized than he deserved. It's a lot harder to grade offensive line play because it's difficult to know what an offensive lineman's assignment is, and oftentimes criticism from big media heads like the the Colin Cowherds of the world and, and guys who. Well, I'm just saying, like, I'm not not Brian Baldinger. Somebody who really does the work, you know, not him, the other guys, you know what I mean? They they feed that echo chamber of, you know, this guy is terrible without doing any real analysis, just doing some real brief highlight watching. And uh, Andrew Thomas was made out to be worse than he was last year. In actuality, most of the offensive line wasn't very good last year, was a lot of the problem. But individually, Andrew Thomas at his worst was at his absolute worst was a you know 25 to ranked 25 to 32 of left tackles in the league right but was generally pretty average throughout the year and towards the end of the year was moving up and up and up to the point where i'd say he was the upper average like in the you're making my point no but 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 see daniel jones i think what i'm saying is that andrew thomas was always a left tackle in this league Daniel Jones, I think, in his first season, the turnovers were worse than below average. I mean, they, they were really bad. And a lot of it isn't necessarily entirely his fault. The offensive line situation that he was working with was really bad. He didn't really have the time to run the offensive system that Pat Shermer had in place um, because the offensive line was bad. But at the end of the day, holding onto the ball is still your responsibility. And... He was downright awful at that. Now, they cleaned up the turnovers last year, so there's reason to think that there's improvement there. But they didn't run a system last year that had him holding onto the ball for very long. I mean, they schemed around that. I don't know if he got better. Does that make sense? I mean, he's not throwing well, – I don't I don't think he's very bad. But That's also part of coaching. I mean, that's what we want good coaches for. You want to scheme to the strengths and scheme away from the weaknesses. That's that's not, that is not scheming to his strengths. I don't think the quick game is Daniel Jones' strength. The strength of the roster at the time, two years ago, was to have him get rid of the ball quickly because the offensive line was bad. Last year, the offensive line was a little bit better, and we switched to a quick game also. The strength of Daniel Jones is being patient in the pocket, waiting for things to open up downfield, and making an accurate ball deep. That's what he does best. That's yeah, not I, what he I, was asked to do last year. And I, hate, and I hate to do this again, but I'm going to throw the asterisk in for last year because I just don't think anybody was ready for last year. I, yeah. I don't think if, if this team is if this team is prepared, you know, the full playbook, the full offseason preparation. I think it's all. I think it's. I don't think it's a 360 degree or. Rather, yeah, I agree, but that's change. not the question that you asked. I, I think I, at his I, worst, Andrew Thomas was still better than Daniel Jones at his worst. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. but it, but it's fairly close. It was a, it was a fair comparison. Right, right. But my my point of that is, it's like we're just assuming 
Andrew Thomas is, you know, and, you know, the rest of the They're just going to make that leap in the next year. And Daniel Jones gets no such benefit of the doubt with that. And I'm Well, not this year, but he, he had it last year, I think. I think fans, not haters, but like actual football fans would have been like, okay, he's getting a new coach, new offensive system. I'd like to see what he can do in year two, what he can yes. build on. I think that he had that year one to year two. I think he deserves that year two to year three, but I don't think he's getting it. See, and I think that's where the fans are making a big mistake. I think last year was so wonky. Again, it's easy to say it, but nobody wants to admit it that last year, for all intents and purposes, didn't count in his development. He got out there, but that he was not out there prepared the way he needed to be. If you had the blueprint of how do I make my quarterback from year one to year five, last year was not in the book. And last year, it slows down the process even for year three. And I, I think, think, yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah. And people just, people just do not acknowledge that or they don't want to acknowledge it. And they're just like, we want to flip the page and pretend like it never happened and let's just move forward. And like, okay, this is year three for Daniel Jones, big year. Well, it's really year two and a half. I mean, he played last year, but it was just sort of like, he's playing. He wasn't prepared. He wasn't, wasn't uh, programmed for last year the way he should have been. And, you know, these players are programmed as much as they are prepared. And, you know, now there's no excuse this year. Now there's a full offseason to, you know, go through the program and be prepared and programmed to be the way you are. There's, there's no excuses this year in that sense. You know, there's continuality with your offensive coordinator, your head coach, uh, a lot of your weapons. You know, there's... You know, change happens every year with getting a new wide receiver here and there and different things. But he is in the best position possible he's been in in his third, in his three years in the league by far. First year as a rookie, last year was all jacked up. This is the this is the position to put him in. But that doesn't mean just because now he's in that position, it's put up or shut up. This means now you can really start the evaluation. Now you really start seeing what you've got. Does it make the final report card on what you have? When people have to, you have to keep that in mind this year. And I think that's what guys like Dave Gettleman and the coaching staff are doing. So if he's kind of eh this year and he's back and you don't think he should be back, that's why. Not because, well, this year sucked. Not, not enough, not enough, uh, I didn't see enough out of him this year to make my you know, to, to get rid of him. It's not going to happen. Yeah, and I, I have to admit, I'm excited to see this season and and how how the scheme changes to the roster. You know, I, I I'm interested in seeing preseason games because I want to see. You know, even if this roster, even if even if the game planning is vanilla and they're just running plays, I want to see what those plays look like. You know, I'm very interested, oh, and I sure. want to see how Daniel Jones runs those plays because, like you said. Last year, you know, it, it was great that there was a season and it was, you know, Daniel Jones performed a little bit better in some areas, a little bit worse in others, whatever. But it really was null and void for his development. All it was was kind of like a practice run for what it's going to be like with new coaches. Um, and, and he performed pretty well, you know. I, I'm also interested in seeing Mike Glennon as a backup because, A, 
it's important that we know what's behind Daniel Jones because he hasn't played a full season yet. And if he continues to be, let's just say Daniel Jones is our franchise quarterback for the next eight years, okay? A good portion of what makes Daniel Jones Daniel Jones is his ability to run and move. So it's always going to be important to know what our backup quarterback situation is. And to be quite honest, I haven't really thought about Mike Glennon much in a couple of years. Um, you know, he's been in the league for a while. Dude's 31 years old. I think he's been in the league for 10 years, something like that. So um, I'm interested to see what Mike Glennon looks like and how we utilize him because there might be a day where we need him to win us a game. And we got that out of um, Colt McCoy. And, you know, that kind of seemed a little lucky. I mean, Mike Lennon. Mike Lennon is a fringe starter in this league, but that's Colt pretty McCoy, good for a backup quarterback. Right, right, right. That's, that's, my, that's my point. Is like guys we've had in the past are not fringe starters. Colt McCoy is not a fringe starter in this league. He's a backup. You know, but Mike Lennon, if he has to come in for a month, I, I feel as confident as I could be with a backup quarterback having a guy like him. There, there's a whole you know, stratosphere of, of, of that quarterback who's fringy starter. Like, he would start on a bad team. That doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. That's just what he is. And to have one of those guys, I mean, look, if if he has to play to win a game because Daniel Jones sucks, much bigger issues. You know, there's much bigger structural issues with this team that they're not worrying as much about we have to win this game. If he has to come in because Daniel Jones is ineffective and he can't get the job done, and they've in effect given up on him, it doesn't matter. This team's got much bigger problems, and you better hope that Chicago <laughs> or us is in the position to draft a franchise quarterback going forward. If they're, you know, Daniel Jones is playing decent, adequate, great, and he gets hurt, and he, he can't finish the Philly game, Mike Glennon is a guy who can bring you home. If, if he's going to be out one to three weeks with something, and you know something? Just because we're running around without masks anymore and we all think we're in the clear, don't think there's a possibility that somebody could still get COVID in this you know, summer, fall, winter. I mean, it's not, it's not uh, you know, polio where it's been eradicated from the earth. It's possible people could still get it. So you never know at any moment that somebody – you know, is down for a week or two for, for, for COVID as much the same as it could be down for breaking a leg or, or, or whatever. So I, I feel comfortable enough in Glennon that goes back to our first question about not needing three quarterbacks that he's that fringy starter guy that if you have to throw him in there, fine. If you need him for an extended amount, we have bigger problems than worrying about who the backup to the backup is going to be. I just have to I have to see him again to see if he is still a fringe starter, in my opinion. It's been a while since I've watched him. So, you yeah, know, ten, tenure d- does a lot to a, a, a guy. But but I, I think I agree. I got to see him. But th- this does lead us to a similar conversation at running back. Um, you know, obviously, St. Cohen Barkley is the guy that the offense is sort of built around. You know, he's one of the guys. Um, you know, Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay probably being the other two that it's completely built around right now. Um, he's coming off an ACL injury, but it leads us to a bigger question. You know, he's entering his fourth year. His fifth year option is already picked up, and that's the obvious move. But, you know, ideally for these megastar guys, 
you want to extend them before they even utilize that fifth year option. You want to know at the end of year four if you should be working on an extension. And right now, you know, Saquon Barkley, when he is himself, when he's healthy, when he's got an offensive line, he is a total game changer. But, you know, now he's post-injury. You have to wonder if it's worth shelling out the money. You know, it, it's fair to wonder. If he doesn't have a season this year that's absolutely bonkers, you're looking at waiting on year five to decide if you want to re-sign him then or extend him. And that's when it can start getting expensive, and then it just becomes an even more difficult decision. I think it's fair to say that this is more of a make-or-break year for Saquon Barkley than it is Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones has that extra year buffer zone. He has the COVID year buffer zone, and he doesn't have a major injury like Barkley does. Do not take that as me saying I don't think Barkley can recover from this injury or be himself post-ACL tear. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I am saying is that the amount of money that he's going to command if he doesn't get an extension this year it just may be simply out of our price range beyond fifth year option. I am absolutely not rubber stamping any extension with him anymore because A, that was a serious injury. B, he's been injury prone. I mean, just if he recovers from this one, who's to say he doesn't, something else happens to him and he's out for extended periods of time. The guy doesn't, he's not reliable to, you know, for whatever reason, his fault, not his fault, bad circumstance, the way it is. Hasn't been on the field for 16 games. And when you're locking up that much money at the running back position, not even a wide receiver, quarterback, or defensive end or anything, at the running back position, he's got to be there. He's got to be there. And I, I don't know. I, 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 this is such a, it's such a to-be-determined season with him. And with that little note you said about, you know, I'm not saying that I don't, I don't think he can is – you know, dead spot on, you know, we're not saying that he's not going to be anymore, but the question is certainly there. Can he be anymore? We don't know. And I would not at this moment guarantee anything with him. I, I have to see, you know, and also how does this offense going to evolve with him or without him? I mean, I, I think it's pretty safe to say we're not going to have 100% Saquon Barkley at the start of the season. I'm not even convinced he'll be playing in week one yet. It's been a little murky what we're hearing. We might see a little quick video of something here and there, but till I actually see him, you know, on the field in game situations, playing in games, I don't know. And just because I see him out there, that doesn't mean he's all of a second they get 30 carries and, you know, be on the field for 75 plays a game. You know, he, they may either, A, bring him along extra slowly to make sure he's 110% ready, or not play him enough yet because he's just not physically ready to. So I, I think the biggest thing this fan base has to do going into, you know, going into training camp and preseason and the start of the season is don't assume and don't have your mind made up and be all excited for, you know, beginning of 2020 Saquon Barkley. Because that's not what we're going to have. I can guarantee that. The question is, how close is he? And how close is he to being ready to play full-time with the, the maximum amount of snaps and carries? Don't know.
Yeah, you know, I, I think I agree that uh, I don't think we're going to see Saquon Barkley at all in preseason, and I think that he will be very limited in the first week. Um, so I, I think Barkley is going to be limited in the first couple weeks, and quite frankly, I think they don't want him to be, I think they want him to be the feature back, and I think they want him to be a feature part of the offense, but I don't think they want him to be the guy that is being keyed on all the time, and to his credit, I don't think he had a single goddamn injury in high school or college, and then once he became the only player worth half a shit on a team, and was constantly trying to do everything himself, is when the injuries started to mount up for him, so... I am not trying to shit on Saquon Barkley. I'm not trying to say that he was a bust pick or, or anything like that. I'm just saying I can now see it both ways. And I think there's a way for this coaching staff to protect him without making him less effective. And that simply is making the team better so that he's not doing everything himself. I think that they did a service to him by going out and getting Kenny Galladay and opening up the offense from the wide receiver perspective. And... You know, for also, I think that he would have been a little bit better last year had he not gotten injured. You know what I mean? I think the team was better. It just happened so goddamn early. He didn't even have a chance to do that before it gelled. I think that he'll be okay. Um, and I think that this is a big year for him for to, to have. And I think that there's a scenario in which we extend him in the middle of the year this year, you know, based on what he's doing and, and how we feel about him in a new offense and you know, if we could just get a couple more pieces, what he could be, and, and that sort of thing. But it is a bigger make-or-break year, I think, for Barkley than it is for Jones. Um, I'll, beyond, take it, I'll, take it, I'll take it even a step further that I think last year this team suffered because we, with a limited offseason, the plan was I'm building this offense around Saquon Barkley. And when he went down, they didn't have the personnel to, or, you know, protocols, everything, the ability to kind of adjust on the fly what they wanted to do. I think this offseason has been, you know, obviously Saquon's important, but he's not, I don't think, being thought of as the focal point of the offense this year. I think part of that is in some of the guys they got, you know, via free agency, via draft. So they're trying to be a little more of a balanced type of offense than being a Saquon-centric offense. Because, you know, they are not sure when he'll be back to full strength. So I think you're going to see more flexibility in what this offense can do with the knowledge that Barkley is still rehabbing and may not be 100% on day one. Yeah, and so I think I think, I think, think the Giants will roll into the season with a couple of running backs here. I mean, they, they went out and they got Devontae Booker. They recently picked up Corey Clement. They drafted Gary Brightwell. And behind that, they have Taquan Mizzle and uh, uh, Sandro Plotzkumer. But I, I, I think it's perfectly – I think there's a perfect scenario in which they start the season with Barkley, Booker, Brightwell, and Clement all as running backs on this team and then kind of ease Barkley into his workload and maybe shake somebody loose halfway through – you know, or you know, I mean, there's always a possibility with a running back that they get injured and they go to IR. You know, we have temp IR spots, you know, for guys that maybe you want to keep. You know, whatever. I mean, at a certain point, one of those running backs becomes expendable if Barkley hits his groove anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I think that's that's fully possible, right? With four guys starting the season. 
my guess is going to be four guys starting the season, but I think how hard they shake the tree of uh, roster cutdowns is how comfortable they feel with Barkley sure. being ready, ready to go for. If you, let me put it this way, the odds of those four guys being on the roster increases if Barkley is closer to 100% than 50%. If he's closer to 50%, I think they'll go out and get somebody else to be that number one and a half running back. But if they think Barkley can handle enough of the load that they feel comfortable with, I think these four guys will be there. Because usually I say, like, you know, every year I always pick a position and say, I don't think, I don't think the starter or this guy in the roster is on this roster yet. This year, I'm talking about running back, and that's how I feel. It's purely on the status of Barkley. Um, I don't think we'll go five deep. I don't, you know, the fifth guy I don't think is going to make it, but I think all four of those guys have a shot to make it. It all goes best case scenario. If not, they'll bring in someone else and they'll replace somebody out. And that leads us to the final point here, and I think, in my opinion, it ties into whether you keep two or three quarterbacks, and that's the fullback position. And right now, they have Elijah Penny. He's been here for a couple of years, and they went and they picked up Colin Gillespie also. You know, I think it's important to point out that fullback is not a dead position. It has changed the way it functions. You know, it's not a pure, you know, two two downs out of three you know, guy going in there and just blasting somebody to open a hole, but but it's still a very prevalent part of modern offenses and very good offenses for that matter. Uh, you know, and Jason Garrett uses one. Uh, I think it's I think I think that a fullback stays on this roster. You know, a lot of teams also they have you know those tight end positions that sort of also double as a fullback, and we have a plethora of tight ends. But I think that this team. This is just my guess now in in early July um, before I've seen any training camp or preseason stuff. I think they keep a fullback. And I think that it's a completely open competition between Eli Penny and Colin Gillespie. They both bring different things to the table. Colin Gillespie is also a little bit younger and a little bit more inexperienced than Penny. But Penny is also not very exciting. He doesn't do anything particularly well. He is just okay he's a functional serviceable fullback slash running back and what does we he see do does he do special teams at all yes that is maybe a saving grace for him yeah yeah and i think it's been a saving grace for him in the last few years i think you know he's been probably the 52nd 53rd guy kept on the roster you know i i think a couple of times do you, but, do you see any kind of correlation where you know tying back to barkley again if they don't need to Grab another running back at the expense of the fullback. Like if, if Barkley is good to go, and good to go, let's just say is on the roster and is playing in a, enough of a capacity in week one that he's sort of back. That kind of you know negates the need for another running back, and that increases the chances of keeping the fullback. Or you think they're just two completely different? Uh, they're not related at all in what they decide to do with the fullback. No, I mean, I think it's related. I just think it's it plays out a little differently. I think if you're not very confident on what Barkley is going to do week one and you want to keep an extra running back, a fourth running back there, that, you know, and again, you have to think about your active numbers on game day. So it's not just the 53-man roster you're worried about. You have to worry about how many guys you're activating. I think that there's a chance that they 
nix the fullback position entirely for a couple of weeks and they use a tight end in that limited role when they need to and then say week three week four when they're confident in what they see in Barkley um that they pick a fullback up and there's a chance that they pick one of those same guys right back up off the street you know what I mean we we see it all the time with fullbacks being picked up in the middle of the year and being perfectly serviceable do you think how well the offensive line is playing in week one through three affects that also? If the offensive line really looks like they got their shit together and they're gelled and they're, they're doing a lot more, do you think that makes the fullback spot not as needed? Or if yeah, the offensive yes, line is... yes and no. Um, I would say yes in the scenario that the offensive line is a total machine. You know what I mean? Where they're really just busting people up. And in that scenario, with the, with the four tight ends they have on roster, and we'll, we'll you know table some of this conversation for that, um, I think that you use one of them in that limited capacity. You can throw Caden Smith back there, even if you start him out in, in you know a tight end formation and motion him into the backfield so it's a little bit more disguised or whatever. I think that you can take that risk if that offensive line is like a total machine. Otherwise, I say absolutely not. Your scheme is kind of your scheme. And if your offensive line is just average, you scheme these plays to have a fullback. Not a guy who can sort of follow directions, but a guy who can play the fullback position. You know what I mean? And I think that if that's your scheme, then that's kind of – you get a guy who knows what he's doing back there. And they're not too hard to find. It's hard to find a really good one, but it's not too hard to find a fullback somewhere. All right, got gotcha. you. That's going to kind of do it for us, so we'll see you guys – Next week with another episode. Um, coming up in, in future weeks, we'll have an episode with Bobby and Justin from Talking Giants talking about sports movies, which is a little bit fun. That's a nice little bonus episode. But we're going to continue these kind of training camp position watch episodes. And also coming up is the fishing competition, which is July 17th, oh. in which case the Grump and the Cranky Fan will be head-to-head to see who can catch who can catch more fluke is the competition not more keepers not more fish specifically can catch and bring onto the boat fluke wait, wait, wait. so we're saying it doesn't have to be a keeper just as long as you get it on the boat it counts it, it's sheer numbers the amount of oh. caught caught fluke sounds like me in high school yeah. <laughs> I brought them all back to my apartment, but nothing happened. Yeah, well, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, and, and, you know also, that poll, by the way, is closed, and I was not very well represented in that poll. Yeah. Um. Talk about next week we're doing our movie show with uh, with, with the uh, Talking Giants guys. If there's any movies you want us to cover in this, you know, get at us on, on Twitter. You know, I'm with the cranky fan. He's football underscore grump. He wants to discuss anything. We have a lot of opinions about a lot of movies, and we're going to be digging into one movie in real particular. We're going to really break it down, but we're, I'm sure there'll be opinions flying about all our favorite, you know, football, baseball, basketball, you know, you name it, movies. But uh, give us something if you want us to talk about it. We'll definitely talk. Yeah, th- that's actually a really great idea. So I'll put out a tweet football underscore grump and i'm going to ask you guys what your favorite sports movie is and you know we'll take a couple of them and we'll discuss them if we're familiar if we're not familiar i'll try to find some time to watch um if not but we're, we're going to record that episode next week i don't know when it's going to air depending on when the availabilities line up and whatever but that episode is definitely coming in the coming weeks so hey also i would do a poll, a poll also of what is your 
most hated sports movie, because I'm sure there will be some comments about the brutal ones that have been out there. Like, for example, all the kid movies that were made in the 90s, I don't consider sports movies. I'll go into a, a topic about that one on the show next week. So don't give me Little Giants, your favorite sports movie, or your least favorite sports movie, because those are not sports movies. Those are those are kid comedies. But Or just ones it. that you hate. You know, like Varsity yeah. Blues is a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah that counts. Yeah, that, that's a bad movie. So <laughs> we will be... We'll be, you know, idolizing all our favorite movies and we'll be crushing the really bad ones because there are a lot of bad ones out there. So be sure to check out that episode when it airs. It, again, is going to be with Bobby Skinner and Justin Penning from the Talking Giants podcast. So be sure to find that episode on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, etc. And as usual, you can find us on Twitter at football underscore grump and at the cranky fan. But until next week, we will see you. Go Giants! Giants.